1 Samuel 16. Let's read the first verse. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. So the Lord God speaks to the prophet Samuel, who's a bit of a um, celebrity in Israel. I mean, I would say he's like the king, but Saul's the king. Um, he's, he's a prophet. He's powerful. He, he basically says, who is the king? He's, you don't want Samuel to turn up on a bad day because you might end up dead. You don't want Samuel to, to, uh, to be around if you're, if you're stuck in sin. But you want his blessing. He's a powerful, awesome guy, full of God's spirit. And God says to him, go and basically reject Saul and anoint a new king. Change the dynasty of the, of the king. This process is going to take years, but it starts here. But I just want to st- start on this verse. How long will you grieve over Saul? Samuel, how long will you grieve over the one I anointed, the one I chose in the previous season? How long will you grieve over what is past? How long will you grieve over all the, all the successes you've had with Saul? How long will you hold on to him and not move on into the new season? How long will you grieve? I think it's a question for all of us. We love to hold on to things which were successful in the past. We love to hold on to what God told us yesterday. We love to hold on to what God anointed yesterday and think that if we just held on to that, then things will be great in the future. Some of us hate change. That's the way God did it yesterday. And I know God said it that way. That was his power. That was his will. And so I'm going to keep on going that way, even when he says something new. How long will you grieve? How long will you grieve over past glories? How long will you grieve over the way God used to do it how long will you grieve over the way church used to be how long will you grieve over that leader who's no longer with you how long will you grieve it's not my message this morning I just wanted to stay on how long will you grieve because I think it's very important that we understand what is right in one season what is God's anointed chosen way i.e. the King Saul in one season is not necessarily for the next season and we need to let go of what God did in the past when he does something new because God loves to refresh things he's new every morning he likes to change the way he does things Sometimes, this is what I believe we're doing, we are offering sacrifices to God from an old era. This is the way he liked it in the past, so I'm going to continue to sacrifice in that way. Yet God says this, I prefer obedience. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. Doing things for God in an old era or in the view of an old era is not what he wants. He wants obedience. I often say the love language of God is is obedience. So how does God set about a new era? Well, he sends 
Samuel, he sends a prophet and he's got a horn. Let's just say a container. He's got this bottle full of oil. It is brimming. And he's going to go and anoint the new king, the new way it is, with his anointing, with his anointing oil. Now, I know that's Old Testament and we still use oil because the Bible does tell us to use oil. But Jesus promised us something. He said there was an old era, the old era of the old covenant. Hebrews 10 tells us this, or Hebrews 8 tells us this, that the old covenant is passing away. God has, just like Saul, God has rejected the old covenant and is bringing about a new covenant through the cross of Jesus Christ. The old covenant was that you were anointed with oil, but in the new covenant, there is a new way. Jesus will go to the Father and for whoever believes in him, he will anoint with the power of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of God will dwell in us. Let me read what it says in 1 John. 1 John says this, when I find my verse, the anointing you received from him remains in you. The anointing you receive from him isn't just you're not just there and a prophet comes and puts some oil over you. No, the new era is this, that the anointing oil, that God himself, the power of his Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us. And he is completely filling us and renewing us on a daily basis. You see, the old has gone and the new has come. Some of us view life through an old era. Some of us view life as in, as in we, do, we do A, B and C and then maybe I'll get to heaven. We don't say that because we know it's through the cross, but we think if I do A, B and C, then God will love me. No, God loves us so much that Jesus died on the cross so that you can have salvation and eternal life. We are not in a performance. Uh, under the old law, it was performance. Under, under the new covenant we have it is by the power of Jesus Christ that we are free. It is not by might, it is not by power, but it is by his Holy Spirit. You see, I am a new creation this morning. And all those who believe in Jesus are a new creation this morning. The old has gone. How long will you mourn over the old? Well, the old has gone and the new has come. We don't just get freedom because of the way we live. We get freedom because of the power of God living inside of us. And I believe this is really important. I'm going way off, never mind. I believe this is really important in this era because there are churches which grew up, which did really successful. And what were they were based on? They were based on principle. It was weird. I was, I was just like, I'll be flicking through uh, YouTube videos or I'll be on, on God, God channel on TV and that kind of stuff. And you're hearing preacher after preacher and I suddenly realised, this is all Old Testament. And yet, you know, you do this, you get that. You do this, you get that. Principle upon principle. And do you know what? These churches were growing and growing and growing. I'm thinking, well, of course they are. Because if you obey the godly principles, you will get blessing. If you obey the, the Old Testament law, you will get blessing. But we have something which is far greater. We have the power of Jesus Christ that breaks chains, that heals sickness, that delivers people from bondage. We should not depend on our own performance no matter how good that is, but we depend on Jesus Christ, his sacrifice and the power that comes from the cross, the anointing that breaks every yoke. It's not about what we do. It's about what he's already done. His power living in us. So the anointing that we have is the power of the Holy Spirit. 
God himself, the one who, who created planets and threw them into space, lives in us. That is where my hope is. Not in my performance. Not if I've had a quiet time. Not if I've prayed. My confidence is this, in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And when I believe in him, mountains move. That is the new covenant we're after. Anyway, let's get on with, with chapter 16. Let's go to verse 2. But Samuel said, how can I go when Saul hears of it? He will kill me. I love this. We, we look at these, you know, this Samuel is one of the heroes in the Bible. And yet he's just like you and me, scared of doing what God told him to do. I don't, know, I don't know about you, God tells me to do something and I'm often a bit scared of going and doing it. Well, for me, normally it's did God actually say, that's, that's my biggest fear, because if I, I pretty much know if God said it, it's going to happen, it's going to be all right. But, you know, did, did, I, did I think that? Did I dream that? Or did God actually tell me to? I often walk out my salvation in fear and trembling, just like the Apostle Paul did. Samuel here is afraid. And why is he afraid? Because if Saul gets to hear of what Samuel is doing, Saul will kill him. Because Samuel is going to anoint a new king while there's still a king on the throne. Anyway, let me carry on. Take a cow with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? I told you you didn't want to meet Samuel if he's not coming in peace. Because it could be the end of your town could have been far from heaven. Anything could happen to you. Samuel is not a person to be messed with. And he said, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Concentrate your, consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Let me just stop for a minute. So picture this scene. Samuel, who they're scared of, has turned up to Bethlehem got the church, not church leaders, the city leaders, got Jesse and is holding a feast. They know what's happening. For us, we're reading this, we just think, well, he's just having a feast. They know what is happening. They know that Samuel is, is going to anoint someone to be king. They are well aware of what is happening here. And Jesse gets his family together. He's told to get all his sons. So, verse 6 when they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed this before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. I wonder what Eliab had done. I've rejected him for God sees not as a man sees, for man looks the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, I think I got that right, and made him pass before Samuel. And he says, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Samuel looks at the first one and thinks, surely this is the right one. I think it's amazing that a prophet can see some, someone and think that they are the one God has chosen and get it wrong. Yeah? See, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by his spirit. I, I think it's, it's pretty amazing, because this is my journey, that Samuel can go on the... No, he's been told to go and, and anoint a son one of Jesse's sons. He hasn't got a clue who he is until he gets there. He hasn't got a clue who he is until he meets that person. I know that the prophetic life is just like that. You can walk into situations and you've only got a little, little, little bit of the picture of what you're going to do. 
And you get there and God fills in the blanks. But you get there and say, well, what are you doing? Well, I think I'm going, I'm going to anoint someone. Who? Well, I don't know yet. I haven't seen them yet. It's, anyway, that's, that's a side note. Samuel is there. Superstar Samuel. The, the only one you could say was possibly greater in the kingdom is Saul. Says to Jesse, have a feast. And Jesse forgets to invite his youngest son, David. What a snub that is, eh? How did he forget his youngest son? His youngest son is not there. Now, it's not that he couldn't be there because they make arrangements, as we see in a bit, to get him there. So it was possible to get him there. What was it about David that Jesse didn't want him there? Well, many more uh, intelligent people than me, theologians, both in, in uh, Jewish theologians and Christian theologians, put it this, have this idea. They think that David was actually illegitimate, that he was the son of a, a servant uh, and Jesse, and that because of that, David was an embarrassment. And so was put out to the... Sh now, shepherding was the one of the worst jobs you could get. Was put out to the field, away. And of course, the prophet comes along. Be holy and vow. Don't want David anywhere near. We are not sure. We, we, we can guess there. And some good, there's some good evidence to, to suggest um, that, that David was, was born out of, out of wedlock. But we don't know. We do know this. Jesse either was embarrassed or completely forgot he had a son called David. And the rest of the brothers hated him. We can see that from the rest of the text. He is hated by his brothers. So David is there in a field, completely oblivious to Samuel being there, missing the party of the century going on in his house. What, that's, what a rejection. It's, it's odd, isn't it? Let, let me carry on. Verse 11. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? He said, there remains yet the youngest, and behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Get the imagery. Party of the century happening. You've got all the dignitaries of, of the town there. You've got Jesse, his father, and all the sons, and you've got Samuel, superstar Samuel there, right in the mix. And Samuel says to all these important people, we are not going to sit down until the guest of honour arrives. The one you forgot, the one you're ashamed of, the one you didn't even bother to invite. We are not going to sit down until he comes here. See, some of us think that because we're not visible, we're not valuable. Some of us think because we've been rejected by our parents or we've been rejected by the authorities that God doesn't see us. But the truth is this, God sees us wherever we are. Whether God, whether people have rejected us, whether our family rejects us, it doesn't matter. God sees us. I, I, I remember Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Do you like that? Do you like that little psalm? Lord is my shepherd. David wrote it, being a shepherd boy, Lord of my shepherd. I shall not want, he makes me lie down in green pastures, blah, 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 blah. And then it gets to, and he prepares a banquet for me in the table of my enemies. I'm wondering if David was thinking about this moment when he wrote that psalm. 
I have a banquet in front of all of those who tried to push me down. I've had a banquet in front of all those people who tried to shut me out. I've had a banquet in front of all those who rejected me and they've had to stand and wait for me to turn up before they could take part in that banquet. I wonder, I can't prove it. I like, I like the link though. Some of you in here, and I've already said it, have believed the lie because you were hidden, you were worthless. You're unimportant, but God isn't interested in you. Your visibility does not dictate your value. Those who hide themselves in the Lord are the ones who he promotes. God promotes the humbles and actively resists the proud. See, this is what happens in church circles. People want to do something, and so they start blowing their own trumpet about how they're good. They seek the stage. They seek prominence. They, they seek some kind of grandeur. The Bible is the opposite. Don't seek the stage. Seek his presence. Don't seek to be seen by men. Hide yourself in God. And the Bible says those who hide themselves in the shadow of his wings, they're the ones who get the riches. They're the ones who get the destiny. I had, uh, when, when uh, I got engaged, um, because Leslie got a, a ring, I got a nice silver watch. And I loved that watch. It was a brilliant watch. I haven't worn it now because now I'm wearing this bit to keep hold of my fitness. But anyway, I had, I had this lovely, uh, it wasn't silver, but it was metal, metal-looking silver watch. Best watch I've ever had. We went around loads of shops looking for it. Didn't we? And I went, that's the one I want. Um, a few months after getting the watch, I think, no, after we were married, Leslie said to me, how come you never wear your watch? Do you not like it? I was like, no, you don't get it. I mean, at that point, I was working with some really interesting young people who weren't very nice, who would steal anything they could get their hands off or whatever else. And I didn't want to wear my, my, that watch to go to work because, well, work was actually messy and grotty as well. And I didn't want it damaged, so I'd only wear that watch at weekends. It wasn't that I didn't find it valuable, it's just I found it too valuable to be on show the whole time. Those things which are most valuable, you hide in the safe. And I believe that many of us in here, we feel like we've been overlooked, not realising we have been hidden in a safe for such a time as this. But God has hidden us because we are so valuable. I've got, I've got, I've got another story where I upset Leslie as well because you know, I wasn't wearing my watch. So then started wearing my watch to work and it got scratched and damaged and whatever else. But you know... Uh, she bought me some aftershave, best aftershave I'd ever had, uh, you know, and, and came like a whole year, I've still got this bar, bottle of aftershave, why? Because I was saving it, because I didn't want to waste it, I only used it at special occasions. So we get to next Christmas, and, and, and Leslie goes, well, I'm not going to get you aftershave, you obviously don't like it, because it's just sat there in the cupboard, it's like, no, I don't want to waste it on just ordinary life, I'm saving it because it is so valuable to me. Many of us need to hear that because that's what God does to you. Just because you're not visible doesn't mean you're not valuable. In fact, many of you are being hidden in him because that's where the power is. So what happens next? Verse 12. 
Oh, we got here. Yeah, I'll just read it. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. David was anointed king from that day. The Spirit of God came upon David that day in power. He was anointed a few more times, but in that day, he was anointed to be king, anointed with power. He wasn't going to become king for years. Yet he had that power immediately. Where did David end up straight after he got anointed? I tell you, it's in verse 19. So Saul sent messages to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who is with the flock. So David is anointed in front of the town council, his, parents, his, his dad, his brothers. Where does his dad send him? Back to the sheep. Back out the way. Hidden away. Surely that's not what happens when, when you get anointed. Surely that's not what happens when the power of God comes upon you. That's normally the way it happens. You see, what was, what was happening in that time? Although David was anointed to be king, he still had to develop into being a king. What was God teaching him? He was saying, David, learn to be a king with the sheep. David, learn to be a king in secret. David, learn to be a king where you are. See, a lot of us, we, we, we pray for God to change, to, to change our circumstances. And we, we get real frustrated because God doesn't seem to change our circumstances. Often, I think that is because God doesn't want us to change our circumstances. He wants us to be the change in our circumstances. We are there to be the light of the world. Often when we, we get, you know... So, you know, we get an amazing prophecy from some prophet or something and they, and they say how amazing you are and you're calling, whatever. And you're going, that's brilliant. Uh, I'm going to give up this, I'm going to give up that and I'm just going to concentrate on that calling and then nothing happens. Why? Because God wants to see if you can obey him where you are. Can you walk in step with him? Can you walk in that power and that anointing and the calling no matter where you are? Can you, can you walk in that calling in secret in a sheep field when no one's going to see you? Can you walk in that power in your workplace? Can you walk in that power in your street? That is the calling. That is what happens to us when we feel the Holy Spirit. We go, oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. What mission shall I go on? You have a mission, it's your home. You have a mission, it's your workplace. You are the light of the world. You have the Holy Spirit living within you, the power that created the world, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Can you use it where you are? I think it's amazing that a... You'll get into New Testament and Paul writes a letter to, I think, it, I can't remember which one it is, but one, one of the Greek, Greek places. And you've got to realise that at that time, about a third of the population were slaves. And he writes and says, this is, what you should, this is how the power of God should affect you as a slave. This is how to be a really good servant to your master. I'll be saying, wait a minute, I thought if I've got the power of God, I'll be free from my master, I'll be free from my condition, because, you know, slavery is bad, isn't it? We want to get rid of it. But no, Paul teaches people how to be amazing, use their gifting in the situation that they are.
God wants us to be the change. He doesn't necessarily want to change your circumstances. Now, sometimes he does. But the power of God lives in you for a reason. Be the change. So David ends up back in the sheep pen, looking after the sheep after being anointed king, rejected, whatever else, put to one side. The next step of David's development is he gets this awesome opportunity to sit in the, in the uh, courts of Saul and see how a kingdom runs without any pressure of actually being a king or of any responsibility apart from playing a harp. How does that happen? Well, let me read from verse uh, 16. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is a skillful player on the harp, and it shall come about when the evil spirit from God is on you, that he shall play the harp with his hand, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the young men said, behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech, and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. How did David get from that sheep into playing in the courts? He was a skillful musician. He was a man of character. Sometimes anointing isn't enough. We trust in our anointing. That's where our power comes from. That's, I have my, my source and it is God. He is my strength. He is my all. But that is not enough. You may be the best anointed, called children's worker there ever is. But if you won't go to safeguarding classes or learn about how to do safeguarding, I cannot use you. If you will not skill up in that area, it doesn't matter how good you are. You may be the most skillful musician that we ever have, but unless you want to play with the rest of the band and, and, and go to rehearsals or actually turn up on time, I cannot use you. You may be the best preacher that we've ever seen, but if you are getting drunk every night, I can't use you. Character matters. Skill matters. Being anointed is not enough. You've got to use the, the anointing is where your power comes from. But to be used in this world, you need to be of a character and you need to have a certain level of skill. I, I see uh, some very powerful people who see people get healed and they end up just doing stuff on the streets. Not that anything's wrong with the streets because I love doing stuff on the streets. But the reason they don't get any further than just doing it on the streets and get frustrated why no church person will let them in is because you see them and you see that their life is a mess and you're thinking, I am never putting that person up in front of my congregation and letting them talk because they will lead my people astray. The power of God is not enough. It needs to be put with wisdom and with calling and destiny. You may see someone on the platform. This is not where the, the power comes from. It's in the sheep field. It's in the prayer room. It's what happens which you don't see. Over the last few years, we've seen many ministers be outed for and, and lose their churches. It wasn't because they were bad at preaching. It wasn't that they preached a bad sermon. It's because they failed in the secret place. Some of them with affairs. 
Some of them because of dodgy money uh, goings on, corruption in money. Some of them because of the way they treated their staff and things that would happen in, in behind closed doors. It is not the public space which normally loses you your, your authority and your calling. It's in the secret place. And this is what God does. He's trying to light sometimes onto the most dark secret places in your life because he cares for his flock. Where does your power come from? It comes from the secret place. Where does your calling come from? It comes from the, from the anointing, but also in that secret place. So many people I've seen, anointed, talented people, I've seen them going, oh, that's just such a waste because they're not teachable, they're not trainable, you can't mould them into anything, not that you want to change them. God resists the proud. The actual Bible says he actively resists the proud. He pushes back against people who are filled with pride. But he elevates those who are humble. He elevates those who seek his face. And it's not only God who actively resists the proud. Good church leaders do as well. God gives his gift to his church. I said it earlier. Sometimes people who are really good at one gift despise other people's gifts and don't feel the need for other people's gifts. Why? It's pride. And because they're so proud about what how powerful they are in God or their gifting, they don't want to come to a body and allow the other gifts to minister to them. God actively resists the proud, but he raises up the humble. Now, Paul uses, a, somewhere else in the New Testament, he uses an analogy about the church and says that we are a body. And he starts talking about the hidden parts in the body. So, you know, you could be an arm, you could be a leg, you can be an eye. You can see those things and you value those things. But there are things that are hindered which are more powerful and ones we take special care over. I was thinking about um, if you're watching the Olympics or, or any, any race and you're looking, wow, some of the muscles on those guys, it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, I remember seeing one runner and, you know, he's got massive bicep and as he goes like that, it's massive. And as he someone puts his arm back, some, somehow the bicep completely disappears and it's back again. Incredible muscles that some of these guys have, some of these sprinters have. That's what I was looking at. But he wouldn't get very far if he didn't have a heart or lungs or a stomach to digest food. We actually need... Our, our heart and our lungs a lot more than we need an arm or a leg or even an eye or even a mouth. It may not get pride of place. We may not talk about it. I mean, I don't know anyone who's showed, I mean, maybe if you've had a heart transplant, you might show pictures of your heart to someone, but I, I've never showed a picture of my heart to someone. I haven't got a clue what it looks like. But it is extremely valuable. It is also hidden. We have a, a problem in our church, and it, and it comes from the culture, that we, we celebrate celebrity. And we have preachers which are celebrity. We, we want to be like that person on the stage, or we want to we do this and be recognised by people. I mean, that's some people. Other people just don't want to be seen at all. But it is not our visibility, as I always say, which makes us valuable. Our heart, which is hidden, is extremely important. 
And I know over this congregation here now, there, were peop- there are people here who are hearts, who are lungs. And they are beating and they are, they're praying. I know, because you get them in every church, but there are church members who pray more than the ministers. And I believe this, that, that, that the, the power of the church is often um, completely interlinked with the power of the prayers in the church rather than necessarily what the minister's doing. I, I, I used to walk into churches and you could tell, you, you talk to the minister and you could find out very much after a short time that they had got very shallow, uh, quiet time life. And then you'd meet one or two of their congregation who are so steeped and you can just tell. You know, they pray and, 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 and they're, they're so deeply in God. Going, they are the rocks and making this place breathe, making the life happen. Sometimes it's the hidden things which bring the power. I, I reckon that when you're seeing these, these sprinters or, these, uh, or any athlete, that ever, their, their lungs must be massive and their hearts must be massive. I mean, something about their BPM goes really low, doesn't it? Because they can, they can really, uh, their, their muscle, their heart is so developed and strong. So as, uh, why I'm bringing this is because at the start of, of, of this West Hole campus, I wanted us to talk about the church as a body. Our source is the Holy Spirit. We need to not hold on to what is past. We need to move on to what's going on. We've got to realise that just because things aren't visible doesn't mean that they're not valuable. In fact, they may be one of the most valuable things in here. We should not get our identity from how man sees us, our appearance, how even a prophet would come up and say, I think this is the right person. Our identity is found in the secret place with him and who he says we are. And when we come together as a family, when we come together, can I use this word, as a team, it is about us all pulling together for the sake of the kingdom of God. Not what I do, not what necessarily what anyone else on the or platform does or anyone who is given a leadership position in, 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 this, in this congregation. It's about us as a family praying, seeing God's glory coming to earth in Cottingham, in Hesel, wherever we live. It is our responsibility as a, as a body to see God's kingdom come to earth. It is our responsibility as a body to pray his kingdom in, not just a special few. And for us who think that it's, we can get away for, with things in secret for a while, eventually they will find us out. Make sure that our secret life is full of prayer, full of scripture, full of seeking him.